Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For the past two days, Boris Johnson has faced a grilling at the COVID inquiry. His appearance came after weeks of testimony from senior officials, politicians and scientific advisers who hadn't held back in their assessment of his abilities. It was the wrong crisis for this Prime Minister's skill set. He did struggle with some of the concepts and we did need to repeat them often. Many of the key decisions were being made by Mr Cummings and not the Prime Minister. Pretty much everyone called him the trolley, yeah change direction. As he prepared to face 12 hours of interrogation, the former Prime Minister began with an apology. Can I just say how glad I am to be at this uh, inquiry and uh, how sorry I am for the, the pain and the loss and the suffering down. of please, the please stop. COVID stop. victims. Please sit down but it was dramatically interrupted by the protests of bereaved families. Please sit down or I'm afraid you'll have to leave the hearing room. Emotions continued to run high. As Boris Johnson left the inquiry, the crowd outside booed and called him a murderer. We've finally heard from the man who presided over our response to the pandemic. I take personal responsibility for all the decisions that we made. So how were those crucial decisions made? And why didn't the UK lock down earlier? We'll run through the highlights from the last two days with one of the investigative journalists who first reported on the dysfunction in Number 10 during the pandemic. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the COVID inquiry. Boris on trial. So I'm uh, George Abuthnot. I'm the deputy editor of the Sunday Times Insight team. And um, we covered the pandemic in, in, in great detail and, and in particular the government's response to it. Uh, throughout 2020 and uh, and beyond. And George, you and Jonathan Calvert at the Insight team, you've actually written the book on this, really, uh, and one that I think has guided some of the COVID inquiry. Yeah, we wrote a book called Failures of State, uh, which was published in March 2021. And 
I know that our publishers did send the key inquiry members a copy when it was set up. And recently the inquiry did write to us and ask if they could take the book formally into evidence. Uh, that was in the last few weeks. Wow. So hopefully it has, to some extent, um, informed, informed their, uh, some of their questions. So this is a subject that you know well. You, you've you looked at what was happening behind the scenes throughout the pandemic and this period that's being covered. Having studied all of that so closely for so long now, what did you make of Boris Johnson's performance over the last couple of days? Well, it was, it was great to see him finally having to um, sit down and, you know, in, in a fairly forensic way, have to answer questions about his actions during that that pandemic year. Because so often in in those press conferences we saw, you know, journalists would ask piecemeal questions and he would bat them aside. And it was, looking on, it was very frustrating um, that he would never properly be kind of confronted with the realities of, uh, and the impact of his decisions. And, you know, the fact that they may well have cost many, many lives we're told he'd spent a year preparing for this. I mean, did you? was there any change in his demeanour? Was this a different Boris Johnson? No. He, he tried. I mean, he tried. I certainly, um, Boris kind of gave a pre-prepared speech saying how sorry he was to the, uh, the victims of the pandemic. I do hope that this inquiry will help to get the answers to the very difficult questions that uh, those victims and those families are, are rightly are asking so that we can protect ourselves better, help each other to help protect ourselves better in the future and prevent further suffering. And if it's not too personal. But literally at the next question, when the council was trying to set out um, how Britain had actually done very poorly compared to other countries, immediately Boris was interrupting him. The evidence before Milady is that the United Kingdom had one of the highest rates of excess death in Europe. Almost all other Western European countries had a lower level of excess death. Italy was tragically um, in a worse position than the United Kingdom. I don't wish wish to to contradict you, Mr Keith, but the the evidence, the the, uh, the ONS data I saw put us, I think, about 16th or or 19th in a table of 33. In Western Europe, we were one of the worst off, if not the second worst off. You could actually hear gasps from the gallery where some of the bereaved victims were sitting as he kind of just dismissed the facts that were being put forward to him by by the, uh, the QC. If you look at the end of the first year of the pandemic, by kind of around January 2021, what was clear was that Britain had the worst death toll in Europe by quite some distance. And we'd also suffered the worst economic fallout of any country in, in, in the G7 countries. So we, we'd really had ended up in, in, in the worst of both worlds. Our subsequent vaccine program did mean that we, you know, rose up a little bit later on, but the damage had been done uh, in in that first year. And George, those lockdown decisions, you know, going back to those very early days, was there a sense that Boris Johnson and his government and the scientific advisers did they understand the severity of the virus? So certainly in that, um, through February and March, the scientists did underestimate the speed of the virus. But they were making increasingly clear that 
the death rate of the virus and also the its infectiousness would mean that it was it was likely to overwhelm the NHS. And so this was an extremely serious matter. But what we could see was that Boris Johnson was, was dismissing it all the way through February and March. He missed the first five COBRA meetings on the virus. He gave away thousands of pieces of our PPE to China. He's alleged to have suggested that he go on live TV and get Chris Whitty to inject him with the virus and to show everyone that it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous. And at the time, I mean, you first reported that Boris Johnson had missed all of those COBRA meetings. The government was trying to dismiss your reporting at the time. Why do we think he didn't take it so seriously? Did he give an explanation? Yes, he did. So today he was talking about how, you know, he'd seen swine flu and um, he'd seen other kind of virus scares and they hadn't amounted to pandemics. I think that when... You read that a, an Asiatic pandemic is, is about to, to sweep the world. Uh, you, you, you're, you, in, you think you've heard it before. And that was the, that was the problem. And uh, so I say we need, to, we need to talk about it. But I think it would be fair to say that the, the, the scientific community within Whitehall at that stage... Uh, was not telling us that I was not being informed that this was something that was going to um, uh, require urgent and immediate action. And therefore he felt that the biggest risk was overreacting and um, you know, bringing in measures before they were necessary and therefore harming the economy. But unfortunately, he continued that kind of optimistic approach right deep into March, even though, you know, he could see people dying in their in their thousands in, in northern Italy, obviously, and Wuhan had already had to lock down. People were dying in their own beds in, in Italy, as we, as we recall. You know, he was advised by a scientist on the 14th of March that we, we needed to lock down, and he did acknowledge that. But at that point, there were 200,000 infections across Britain, but he delayed for a further nine days and because the virus was doubling every every three days, the infections reached 1.5 million by the 23rd of March when he did finally lock down. And that was the reason that we ended up with such an appalling death toll in that first wave, but also meant that we had to lock down for longer than any other European country, which also wrecked our economy. And so that was the single most important reason we ended up in, in that worst of all world situation in, in that first wave. And it is important to remember that looking at Italy, we had a three-week warning system effectively because they were already ahead on the curve with, with COVID infections. When lockdown did finally happen on the 23rd, quite quickly afterwards, Boris Johnson himself gets COVID and ends up in hospital. He reflected on that during his evidence in a way that we hadn't heard before. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, he was actually quite emotional. He kind of had long pauses and he could tell that he was really thinking back to that time where he clearly felt he, he, he you know, could have died. And he was looking across at um, other middle-aged men, you know, well before their time, mid-50s, I think, as, as he is, and realised that this was not just a virus that, you know, killed people who were just about to die. This was a virus that could take your life, you know, far earlier than that. 
I knew from that experience what an appalling disease this is. I had absolutely no personal doubt about that from March onwards. Uh, to say that I didn't care about the, the suffering that was being inflicted on the country is simply uh, not right. When he came out of a hospital and he returned to Downing Street, he actually stood on the steps of Downing Street at the end of April and said, look, I, I have learned my lesson. We now need to make sure that the R number, which is the, the rate of reproduction of the virus, if it's above one, it means that the virus is, is growing across the country. If it's below one, it means it's shrinking. And he said, I must, will now make sure that the R number always stays below one. And it seemed like he'd, you know, that, that was a real Damascene conversion for him. But unfortunately, as we, as, as we later hear, it, he seems to have forgotten that very quickly. Coming up. The Prime Minister meeting begins to argue for letting it rip, saying yes, there will be more casualties, but so be it, they've had a good innings. We'll hear Boris Johnson's response. That's in just a moment. Hello, I'm Luke Jones. If you're enjoying our podcasts, and why on earth wouldn't you be, we have got something extra for you. This weekend, time subscribers only can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts just for Time subscribers, and you get it on the Stories of Our Times feed. This weekend, we're speaking to our film critic, Kevin Marr, and getting a private tour of a Soho screening room. Mm. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out more. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Midway through April, Boris Johnson is clearly personally moved by having spent time in hospital, having seen the damage that COVID is doing, how it's affecting people. And yet, by the mid to the end of June, we start to see that there's clearly been a change of tone. 
after his Damascene conversion, as you called it. According to the diaries of Patrick Valance, the chief scientific advisor, which have come to light during the COVID inquiry, we start to see a very different approach from the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister meeting begins to argue for letting it rip, saying, yes, there will be more casualties, but so be it. They've had a good innings. Obsessed with the average age of death being 82, which is longer, you believe, than the average life expectancy. Get COVID, live longer, you said. What did you make of that? It's, it's quite um, extraordinary. Uh, for a man who had claimed to have realised the severity of the thing with his, through his own near death, it just betrays an extraordinary kind of... <laughs> you must have an extraordinary memory fade. Was your position, Mr Johnson, that in light of your views secretly held about people dying having reached their time anyway, that you were obliged to reject the advice of your advisers that there be a circuit breaker? No. That there be no national lockdown until the no. last possible moment? No. And that you this would try a tier system? No. No. Uh, no. So the implication of... Uh, the, or the implication that you're, you're trying to draw from those conversations is uh, completely wrong. And my position was that we had to save human life at all ages. And uh, that was the objective of the, of the strategy. And, and by the way, um, uh, that is what we did. In August, we then see um, the, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, in the same year, launching the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. What did we learn about that policy and how much Boris Johnson knew about the risks it might have in terms of the spread of COVID at the time. Well, this, this was a real let-it-rip star policy, wasn't it? It was encouraging people to go and mix in close quarters inside, which was the, the, the virus's kind of dream scenario for spreading. And the scientists were absolutely astonished to see what was going on. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because in his written statement to the inquiry, which had to be lodged before he heard the evidence from Patrick Valance and Chris Whitty, Boris Johnson had made it quite clear that the scientists had been consulted and had approved this policy. And in your statement, you do say in terms, the scheme was, quote, to use your words, properly discussed, including with Chris and Patrick. So I, did, I did say that, and that, that was my belief. And I, I don't understand how that... I don't understand how something as um, well-publicised as that as, as could have been smuggled past the, um, the scientific advice. I don't, I don't see how that could have happened. And yet Boris Johnson referred to it saying how surprised he'd been hearing Chris Whitty say, eat out to help the spread of the virus. I remember the scheme coming up several times, um, and that's why, I was, as, I, as I've told you, I was surprised when later I heard that um, Chris was calling it Eat Out to Help, Eat Out to help the Virus, mm. and, and, and taken aback. What do we know about what actually happened? We were speaking to the scientists in, in the summer of 2020, including some of the sage scientists, and they were absolutely clear they had not been consulted on it. Um, and if they had, they, they would have opposed it vehemently. He'd been asking what the scientific modelling was and all, all, all the other decisions, 
But on this particular one, in which the scientists have made explicitly clear they would have opposed it vehemently, he, he did not. The COVID wave, as we know, looking back now, you know, it continued. And after months of, at the time, localised and national measures, so in some areas where it was kicking off again, there were sort of stricter measures. Um, in others, it might just have been restricting the number of people gathering. But around that time, what do we know about the sort of scientific advice that Boris Johnson was receiving just at the end of summer in the run-up to autumn? The scientists could see that the the virus was escalating again and fueled by Eat Out to help out. And they were clear that we'd made a, a terrible mistake in the first wave of allowing the virus to spread too far and acting too late. And they could see that in the first wave, only 50,000 people had died, but only 8% of the population had actually been infected. And so any, any concept that you could let the virus rip and acquire herd immunity through infection it had been completely destroyed. And so the only way to stop the NHS being overwhelmed was to was with a lockdown, or to reverse, to reverse the virus. And so the scientists went to Boris Johnson and said, we've got to, we've got to bring in another, another circuit breaker lockdown now. And it will only need to be a short, much shorter lockdown because the virus is much less out of control than it was in the first wave. But Boris decided that actually um, that he would ignore them and this is also backed, you know, the scientists were also being backed up by, by Dominic Cummings as well, his closest advisor. And it really did, uh, it, had, it had tragic consequences uh, in the autumn. And you reported at the time about a, a particular meeting with scientists that took place in Number 10. And we heard a bit more about that during the, the inquiry. Just tell us about that, because all the way through this period, you know, people will remember those press conferences every night and we were being told that the government was following the science. Was there a question about whose version of the science? Boris and Rishi decided to get in some other scientists who weren't part of the SAGE committee, um, who were advocating a, a more herd immunity style approach. So he brought in Anders Tegnell, uh, who was uh, Sweden's epidemiologist, and also Carl Hennigan, um, who was an Oxford University professor, and Sunutra Gupta, uh, who was uh, also from Oxford University. And Boris, it was quite interesting in the inquiry, Boris said he was expecting them to make the arguments against lockdown. I need to have the arguments. I need to understand what... Uh, a lot of people talk about the great Swedish success and uh, you know how they managed to do it without lockdowns. And uh, if I'm going to impose another lockdown in the course of the next few weeks which is indeed what I, had to, I ended up having to do, I need to know what the counter-arguments are. But Boris says he was surprised that actually, despite their reputations, they had actually almost concurred with the sage scientists that actually a more precautionary approach needed to be taken. Uh, he then sort of midway through his test, we suddenly realised that that meant that that might mean that there was no scientific backing for the laissez-faire approach he took. And as Tegnell made it absolutely plain to you that contrary to much of the press reporting about the Swedish approach, a stronger intervention was merited if the approach to be adopted by your government was there's a second wave coming, we need to do more to stop it. Um, that was the approach he took in the meeting. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't swear to, to that, uh, Mr Keith. What I, what, I, what, I, what I remember is that he 
that everybody and I, you know, everybody at the meeting uh, was. I mean, the meeting. It was more. It was more abstract, I think, than uh, concerned with the details of the current UK position, about which actually I don't think they necessarily. Uh, some of them knew as. as or, or, and so they <laughs> tried to kind of backtrack and then just try to describe the conversation as, as abstract and therefore try to take away significance from it, at which point Hugo Keefe interceded to say it, was, it, was, it wasn't abstract at all. Well, I don't think Is I, that right? You, you received one-page papers from every single attendee about the, inviting them, and they produced information, about the approach that the United Kingdom government should adopt. Well, do you, I, do you I, recall? I don't, I don't remember them commenting specifically on the situation that we were in. What I do remember is there was a... A, a much greater uniformity of view that we needed to do something. What I'm trying to say to you... And George, that meeting with even the scientists who were sort of on the furthest bit of the spectrum when it comes to thinking lockdown might not be important, that meeting takes place on the 20th of September. And yet we don't get a lockdown until November when even the scientists who were against lockdown or should have been in theory were telling Boris Johnson it was time to do something. Do we know why that is? What you can see through that period is that the scientists are taking more and more data and producing more and more reports uh, and putting it front of the Prime Minister and and arguing, making this simple point that if the more you delay action, the more you let the virus escalate, the more people will die and the longer the ultimate lockdown will have to be. Because if you don't lock down, ultimately, the NHS will be overwhelmed and you'll have people once again, like in the first wave, dying in their own beds, not being able to get uh, ventilation treatment if they get ill. You know, in that first wave, only one in nine of the people who died ever got into intensive care. The rest of them died without, without the treatment they needed. So in the first wave, we criticised him for delaying nine days. In the second wave... He actually delayed for pretty much six weeks. And in that first wave, he took action when there was around 7,000 COVID patients in hospital. By the second wave, uh, when he finally locked down, there was already 14,000 people in hospital. So yeah. his, his um, prevarication was actually getting worse. And he wasn't, he wasn't just not learning from his mistakes. He was actually making bigger mistakes. That's what's so surprising about this this part of the inquiry. You know, on the first day, his evidence, I think a lot of people would have said, well, give him the benefit of the doubt. It was a, an, a surprising shock that came out of nowhere. Nobody would know how to deal with a global pandemic. But by this stage, by, by that second lockdown, which is delayed by six weeks, we've had the experience of the first already. Did Boris Johnson give any suggestion that when he looks back now at the timings of those lockdowns, you know, how does he view them? Does he understand the consequences <laughs> of the delay? Well, he was finally, he, he's never really faced up to this, that by failing to take action, people die as a result. But Hugo Keefe did finally get him to concede that point um, because he found a reference to Boris Johnson actually saying in September that they needed to avoid making the same mistake in March. And because if they didn't, there, there would be consequences. Um, and he, so he was asked directly, what consequences are we talking about? What were the consequences 
of making decisions too late. When you said those words to your colleagues on the COVID-S meeting on the 21st September, what did you have in mind by consequences and the decision-making well, having been too late? Clearly, if you, if you uh, make any decision too late, then there's going to be a cost. And, and in, the, in the case of COVID, there's a cost in human life. But I, what I, I, I wouldn't accept is that the decision in uh, all the decisions in September, October, November were too late, nor would, nor would I accept knowing what we did then that the decision in March was too late. Well, there we are. And Boris was finally forced to concede that there was a cost in, in human life. And that is the, the nub of the entire inquiry, is that if, you've, if you're told that people will die unless you act and you don't act, then you are effectively responsible for their deaths, is, 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 is how the bereaved families would put it. For the bereaved families... This session had been a long time coming. We know that Boris Johnson had spent a year preparing for it. When it actually arrived, it sort of had a very mixed political backdrop. And we're going to hear from Rishi Sunak on, on Monday. Are there, are there massive traps for the Prime Minister coming up? Rishi Sunak, there are huge bear traps for him because been, there's been evidence that at times in, that, in the autumn, Boris Johnson would be persuaded by the scientists to, to take action. But then he'd have, he'd have a meeting of Rishi Sunak who would, who would talk him round. And obviously, you know, the, the government's most senior scientists have described Rishi Sunak as effectively Dr. Death. And obviously the Eat Out to Help Out scheme was, was his own brainchild. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a grilling for him. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating how he, how, he, how he responds to it. But what the inquiry is about, though, is actually it's much more serious thing, which is how is Britain going to prepare for the next pandemic? You know, that, as, as Michael Gove said, and certainly we found, is that there is strong evidence that the virus came from a laboratory in China, born from, from risky research on, on coronaviruses, which, uh, because of the failure of the world to properly get to the bottom of that, is, is continuing not just in China, but in other countries around the world. And so we certainly believe that the chances of another pandemic from that source is, is, is very high. And so there isn't a moment to lose that we make sure that there are plans in place to make sure that whoever is in charge, they are compelled to act in a much more effective and decisive way to save lives and save the economy. Because in this scenario, that was a... It wasn't an either-or. Acting quickly helped both. And the failure to understand that is why Britain ended up in such a terrible situation this time around. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Deputy Insight Editor at The Sunday Times, George Arbuthnot. You can find all of our coverage of the inquiry, including Rishi Sunak's evidence, next week at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. 
We'll also put a link in the description of this episode to the series we did with George way back in 2021, when the Insight team investigated the government's handling of lockdowns. And if you want to read that investigation in full, then do pick up a copy of their book, Failures of State, The Inside Story of Britain's Battle with Coronavirus. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak, with production help from Taryn Siegel. The executive producer was Kate Ford, and sound design was by Hannah Farrell. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.